Greetings, Hokie fans. Welcome to the newest edition of Terradome Talk. I'm Jonathan Hagee here with Josh Hollifield. Josh, how's your week been? It's not been too bad. It was a nice ending to the college football season the other night. Uh, it was a really highly contested game between Alabama and Ohio State, but I think the better team pulled it out, even though my uh, co-broadcaster here might pull it the other way. But I think everybody's in a pretty good mood. I think college basketball is really rolling now, so I think it's an exciting time to be a Hokie. Yeah, uh, you know, I did ultimately say in the last podcast that I thought Ohio State was going to find a way uh, to get that win. I was certainly wrong. I definitely was not pulling for Ohio State. I was pulling for Alabama. Uh, you know, I know contrary to what a lot of people's opinions are uh, about Nick Saban and that program, I have a lot of respect for Coach Saban and Alabama and what they've been able to do. And I'm not one of those people that's going to pull against the program just because they win all the time because that's what they're supposed to do. And my philosophy is if you don't like somebody winning all the time, get good enough to beat them. That's how, that's how you handle that. Uh, staying with the college football theme, we are going to dedicate a lot of this show today uh, to Mike Young and the men's basketball program and what they're doing. But uh, some noteworthy news, Virginia Tech got some really good news out of the transfer portal uh, earlier in the week. Jordan Williams, defensive tackle from Clemson, a Virginia native, six foot four, 310-pound uh, defensive tackle, commits to the Hokies. Josh, we spoke about him in the last show, about how we thought we were in good position for him. What do you see Jordan Williams bringing to this Hokies D-line and team overall? I definitely think that it's going to give us more ability up front to be able to protect against, you know, A, the running game, and B, it's going to give us more pressure against the quarterback. Um, I kind of want to see how we scheme with him. I mean, in the past, we haven't gotten a whole lot of production from our D-tackles, but I definitely think this is a better fit for us than what we currently had on the roster. I think – you know, this is a guy that was really excited and really high on being a tech hokey before he started his career. But, of course, it's hard to turn down an offer from Clemson, and I think he's happy to be home. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jordan Williams was the 167th player, player overall in the country. He was actually listed as a defensive end, uh, the number 12 overall in the country, fifth-ranked player in the state, about a 93 recruiting ranking. Uh, you know, obviously Clemson, I think, planned to play him inside the whole time. He put on some weight. He is 6'4", 310. I certainly think he'll be an upgrade from uh, really any defensive tackle we've probably played since Tim Settle. Uh, I, I know Ricky Walker, fan favorite, had a really good career. But just off of raw athleticism and size, I think Jordan Williams will be the most productive defensive tackle we've had in Blacksburg since Tim Settle. Yeah, I think with Huey announcing he's going pro and the fact that you know, the defense is going to be kind of a reconfiguration of what it was last year. I think it's really setting up to be a very strong unit, and I think it might be the strength of the program right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about that D-line, uh, getting a healthy Belmar back, getting Taiwan Garbett back into the fold, a healthy Deshaun Crawford. Now you throw in Williams with Pollard and Kendricks. The outlook, and uh, obviously how can I leave out Amari Barno, who may be the most uh, – exciting NFL prospect on the entire roster. I think that D-line, the outlook for that's much more positive than it was, say, even a month ago, uh, knowing what we have coming back. Uh, the Hokies also got some more uh, transfer portal news. Connor Lee Blumrick from Texas A&M uh, came into a college station there as a quarterback since transition to running back, 6'5", 215 pounds, uh, runs, you know, in that 4'4", 440 range. Not really sure how the coaching staff plans to use him. You and I have some ideas we'll talk about. But certainly an athlete with size that I think can be utilized. Yeah, this is kind of like a Thompson pickup for UVA. I mean, I don't really compare the two guys, but they're both guys that are listed were listed as quarterbacks coming out of high school, but their size and their speed makes them dangerous weapons. You just got to figure out how to use them. I think Tech will definitely have something on the plate because it's kind of hard to recruit a guy without giving him some kind of idea 
or where he's going to fit into your scheme-wise. Yeah, certainly a guy that's leaving a program where he hasn't played a ton, uh, it's hard to sell him to, you know, come into another program where you have at least promised him an opportunity to get some early playing time. I think looking at his size, his athleticism, uh, his measurables, that you're likely to see Blumrick used uh, – in that H-back, H-back tight end role like a Dalton Keene, uh, you know, you may see him carry the ball some out of the backfield, utilized on jet sweeps, some screen passes. I also think he has the speed to go vertical. So I'm really excited. I think he's a piece that Virginia Tech, uh, if they can figure out how to use him correctly, can move him around to be a difference maker. Yeah, a guy who's 6'5 and 215 and runs a 4'5 is always an interesting piece to put on the field. I do think he's probably going to have to put on a little bit of weight, depending, you know, if he's going to spend a lot of time in the backfield or if he's going to be blocking on the edge. But I think he's going to be a good piece, and I think it's always nice to see that the portal affects both ways, both coming in and going out. Yeah, uh, and that's one thing that uh, Justin Fuente and that staff have really utilized the last couple of years is finding guys in that portal uh, that that can be difference makers immediately make a huge difference to Virginia Tech's roster. Uh, speaking of finding somebody that's made a huge difference uh, to Virginia Tech, uh, you know, we can't reiterate enough Mike Young uh, since his hire, what he has done, for the Virginia Tech basketball program, uh, getting it back on track after Coach Williams' departure uh, earlier in the week or over the weekend, uh, Sunday night, Virginia Tech gets a 14-point win in the Castle against Notre Dame to move to nine and two and three and one in the conference. We'll talk about that first before we get to Tuesday's game. Josh, what did you see in this game, and what do you make of this win? I think that Notre Dame, you know, definitely came out in the first half with an energy that we couldn't match, and I think that was kind of surprising for a lot of people. But it, it sometimes is hard when you've done a, you're a program that's on the rise to meet the bell every time you're going to play a team like you know, Notre Dame is struggling in the ACC. Uh, it becomes a challenge. But definitely after the or after the first half, you definitely saw a change in defense, and it definitely confused and I guess struggle. I mean, it made Notre Dame struggle much greater. Yeah, uh, I mean, you look at for Virginia Tech in this game. Kive Aluma just continues to do what he does, be a double-double machine, 15 points, 12 rebounds. I thought his second half was much stronger than the, his first half. But that, that's kind of what you want to see. You know, if a guy, your your, your big-time guy is struggling you know, in the first half, can he regroup at halftime, rebound, and, and come out and play like the player you know he is in the second half? And I think Kive's done that a lot this year. I think he struggled a little bit in the first half and had a good second half. Yeah, that was the most impressive thing about Tech's performance the other night was the fact that they absolutely dominated the rebounds. I mean, when you're out-rebounding a team two-to-one in a game, it definitely makes it easier to cover up for some of the things that you're lacking, such as a poor shooting night, which we were having. Yeah, I mean, 41 rebounds, I think – Notre Dame may have had 29, so that, that, that's a very impressive stat, something that Virginia Tech fans are not used to seeing. But with this team, they better get used to it because it's very athletic and crashes the board hard. Crashes the boards hard. Uh, another guy that, that's a tremendous rebounder, you look at Justin Mutz, 14.7 rebounds. Uh, he's a monster on the offensive glass. He he is the master of second-chance points for this Hokies team. And then Tyrese Radford, nine points, not a bad, bad output, but eight rebounds. And he's just – always around the ball, keeping balls alive, you know, a lot of tips, uh, just uh, great energy from Tyrese Radford. And then you look at Hunter Couture, 15 points, and that three he hit to kind of put the game away there, almost from the logo, there was no doubt he was shooting that when he got it. I really like what Hunter has done as the backup point guard. I think it's freed him up to to be uh, more of a playmaker uh, and really show a side that I don't know a lot of people thought he knew or knew that he had in his game. Yeah, Hunter Couture is definitely a glue guy for this team. I think that you can see that – it's not really a tech game without seeing at least take two to three charges a game. Uh, the biggest thing, again, that I'm, I'm missing as far as the tech program right now 
is just a little bit more depth. I, I know that we've, we've probably rolled out eight guys in the Notre Dame game, and I'd really like to see us get to nine. I don't know who that guy is going to be. I know Max picked up two minutes, but that's not really a whole lot of a contribution. So the ninth guy is the one that I'm really hoping that, you know, we can get Pimsel back soon or, you know, find someone else who can get us some more minutes. Yeah. Uh, you look at, at Virginia Tech's depth. Uh, I think certainly we all thought that Joe Bamisil would play more of a role, even if it was five to seven minutes a game and do some things for whatever reason as we've gotten into ACC play. He just doesn't seem to be ready, uh, or other guys are more ready. We'll, we'll put it that way. Uh, we have seen David Gasson a few times, and like you said, Maddox comes in and will spell um, certain guys for a minute or two, but nothing certainly taxing. So we're really in that eight-man rotation. Uh, you look at, since ACC play has started, the emergence of Jalen Cohn. I mean, he's just on fire. I mean, when he lets it go, you feel like it's going in. Uh, what have you seen from Jalen Cohn offensively that's allowing him to get – you know, open so much while our team's not try or what are they not doing to, to shut him down? And, and how is how is Mike Young using Jalen Cohn in the offense to get him open looks? I'm not sure if anyone's failing to know what Jalen Cohn can provide. I think the thing about Jalen Cohn is he's such a quick riser. He has an amazing jump on the shot. And I think that, you know, he can get a quick release that makes it very difficult to guard him. And another thing that Mike Young has done so amazingly well He's using Jalen Cohn in situations where it's not the best guys from the other team. They're on the floor, and that allows Jalen to get hot early coming off of the bench, and that allows us to have a second scoring option, you know, when we really need it during the game. I'd like to see Jalen again, you know, work a little bit on his defense performance. I think that's the thing that's really still holding him back. But I think as a sixth man, we couldn't ask for anything else from him. Yeah, I mean, he offensively uh, – uh, I think we have a lot of go-to guys. It just depends on the situation. Obviously, uh, Aluma is that guy when we need uh, points in the paint, and, and he certainly was the go-to guy we ran the offense through in the uh, latter stages of the Duke game. But Jalen Cohn is the guy that we go to when we need a big shot to get some momentum. Uh, I've just Like you said, with that release and his elevation, I just think that Jalen Cohn is, is one of the elite shooters and premier shooters in all of college basketball. Yeah, without a doubt. He kept us in the game for the first half that basically allowed us to have that kind of burst of momentum that came out of the locker room. and. I think that he was the major performer in that game. Yeah, for sure. Then you look uh, Tuesday night in the castle, number 19-ranked Duke Blue Devils come in, uh, playing the number 20 Virginia Tech Hokies. Virginia Tech comes out and, just like at Louisville, hot start. Uh, you know, we're on, we're up by like 16 or 17 almost instantly in complete control of the game. I think we all thought at some point Duke's going to find some more footing here and at least get themselves back into the game somewhat to make it competitive. They do that on the back of Hurt, you know, 20 points. There was a stretch there where he hit like three straight threes to, to cut it from a 15-point lead to a six-point lead in seemingly a minute. Uh, what did you see in this game? I, I personally was really proud of – Virginia Tech's effort from start to finish and the way that they finished the game. Even when Duke got back into it, we never trailed in the game, we never went away, and we just continued to grind. Yeah, the biggest thing that I noticed in this game is the complete change in what Virginia Tech was able to do against a three-quarter court pressure from the beginning of the season to that point. I mean, Duke threw a lot of pressure at them early. Of course, you know, Duke is not really known for its defense at this moment, but they coming off a couple games where they had double figures and steals against B.C., and I can't remember the other game off the top of my head. But they hadn't really shown that they were doing well with this three-quarter court system that uh, Coach K had put in. But Virginia Tech handled it well, especially in the first half. It seemed like we couldn't really do anything wrong. We were breaking that pressure early and often. And, you know, in the second half, you know, Duke did what Duke does. They came out, were able to put some pressure back on us and get the game to one. But 
you know, it seemed like a game that Virginia Tech kind of controlled from beginning to end. Yeah, uh, and you look at what Tyree Stradford was able to do in this game uh, with the double-double, 18 points, 12 rebounds. He was just Mr. Energy all night, also had five assists. Uh, Mutz, uh, Mutz is one of those guys that sometimes you're going to love him and then sometimes you're going to wonder what he's doing. But he he does far more positive than negative. He's just all over the floor, had nine points, five rebounds, three assists, just a defensive stopper. Uh, Aluma, again, 17.7 rebounds. Uh, you look at the bench, Hunter Couture only had five points, did have three assists, but he took a big charge late in the game, and he's good for one or, one or two of those a game. And then Jalen Cohn with just tremendous uh, offensive efficiency, 14 points on three of three from the free throw line, three of five from three, four of nine from the field. Uh, just Virginia Tech continues to find guys to step up in big moments. Yeah, I mean, Aluma and Radford gave every bit as much effort and production as Roach and Hurt did in that game. And I think that's a pretty impressive thing. You're talking about guys that are four and five stars over there on the other side of the court. And our guys were holding up just as well as they were in every single way. And I think that shows a lot for the program going forward, this fact that, you know, that's a team across the court that, you know, recruits, you know, usually kids that are a little bit stronger as far as recruiting ability goes. And we were able to – we were the more talented team on the court, in my opinion, that night. Oh, yeah. We outplayed them. We outcoached them. We out uh, – you know, out – insert whatever we outed them uh you, you spoke about roach uh he had 22 points two rebounds uh jalen johnson did not play but four minutes in the game i know he's one of duke's better players he did have two points so that is notable that that jalen johnson wasn't available for the you know what they would normally play him but i still like where virginia tech was at in this game and how they played in the scheme and it just speaks to where this program is headed that you know one year removed from winning seven ACC games and really lacking for a lot on the roster, what Mike Young and, and this coaching staff has been able to accomplish in, in little a little under a year. Yeah, I do want to point out one trend that I am noticing that it's really a good trend for Virginia Tech going forward is the fact that BD is not having to be called upon nearly as much as he was in the past. I mean, if you look back at last year, BD was playing 36 to 40 minutes a night, and Hunter Couture has really continued to step up, even in the Duke game, being able to run that point guard role and that's, that's a big step for us going forward because the fact is that allows Jalen Cohn not to have to play that one role, and that allows him to be more freed up as a shooter. Right, and to your point, for people that you know to clear that up, what, what you're saying is that also that keeps Beatty more fresh where he's not tired at the end of the game, turnovers and those types of things. But as you're stating, it also helps our offensive output. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that Beatty, I mean, has never been the offense producer that, you know, you would want – I mean, not so much want, but you need sometimes late in the game when you need a big shot. And the fact that Couture is being able to step into that role and be the scoring threat that he already has always been and elevating his defense the way he has and ball protection this year is a big step for Virginia Tech. It's something that going forward is going to be even more of a step as B, you know, moves away and goes, you know, off to do things later on in his career. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech this Sunday has Wake Forest at Wake on the road. Wake certainly struggling, you know, as a team. Uh, what are what are some keys that you have to this game? They're led in scoring and uh, most major categories by Davian Williamson. <clears throat> 11.4 points as a guard, three assists per game. Uh, Odi Aguma is a forward. He's 6'9". You know, they don't have tremendous size. Uh, new coach in Steve Forbes this year. Uh, what – what do you, what what does Virginia Tech need to do just to, to hold serve here? I think the biggest thing they need to do is come out hot in the first half of this game. I think you know 
repeating what we did against Duke and not what we did against Notre Dame is going to be huge in a road game at Wake Forest. This is a team that's desperate to get their first ACC win, and not coming out flat is going to be a huge point. I think that we should be able to dominate on the boards as we did against Notre Dame in this game. And I think it's a game that Aluma is probably going to need 15 to 20 points, you know, to show that he's dominant force in this game. Yeah, uh, Wake doesn't really have necessarily a go-to guy. Like I said, Williamson's leading them in scoring, but they all also have Enda Bose at 11 points per game, Tariq Ingram at 11 points per game, Isaiah Marcus at 10.3, and then Aguma just in under 10 at 9.4. So uh, this is a roster that that has multiple guys that, that they utilize, but not really a go-to guy. I, obviously, you don't want to take anything for granted, especially on the road in the ACC, but this is a game that Virginia Tech really has almost every advantage. Uh, it's a game they should win and a game that they need to win and have to win if they want to stay in that ACC championship race. Yeah, Wake Forest is a very aggressive team on defense. They're going to go for a lot of steals, but counterpoint, they're also going to turn the ball over a lot. So I think this is a game that Virginia Tech definitely matches up favorably, and I could see us winning by 8 to 10 points. Right, and then next Saturday uh, we, we do have – or I'm sorry, next week, not next Saturday, next week we have Boston College back in the castle. Uh, to me, last year, the losses to BC are kind of where our season started to turn. Uh, two wins that we needed, uh, you know, at least to get an NIT bid, and that would have been great in Mike Young's first year with the roster deficiencies we had. Uh, I think this year it will be a much different story. BC still has some talent. Uh, I think they just got their first ACC win a, a couple days ago. Uh, they're led in scoring by Jay Heath, who Hokie fans are familiar with, at 13.5 per game. But they also have Winston Tabs, another uh, guard there, at 13.3 points per game. So their backcourt is solid. But, again, this is another game Virginia Tech should and needs to win. Yeah, the front court for BC is the weakest position by far. And I think that, you know, Virginia Tech should be, you know, a dominant force in this game between Mutz and Aluma. There shouldn't be much struggle in, in the front court area. But I, I think that, you know, Virginia Tech, these are two games that show the difference between where your program is. These are games that we should win. And last year we weren't able to finish in games like that. And I think this year is the difference going forward whether we're going to be in the ACC. We should be 12-2 and two and 6-1 and one after these two games. Yeah, and we're actually going to get to that and touch on that a little bit more here uh, in just a second. Uh, you talked about the front court for B.C., uh, their most productive big man is C.J. Felder, a forward, 6'7", 230. Obviously, we have a huge size advantage. This is a game where I think Kibe Aluma, we're going to go to him early and often, and I know we do that anyway, but I think you're going to see a, a, you know, a concerted effort uh, by Mike Young and the players to feed the ball in the post to Aluma and Mutz early and, and, and just separate themselves early on there in, in the paint. Yeah, this is the difference between this year's team and last year's team. When you look back at last year – we had Horn and Nolly in the two roles that you're talking about, and they were definitely not the prototypical 3-2 offense that you know we're running this year. So I think it's definitely an upgrade that we've seen during the year, and I think it's something that we can take advantage of in both of these games coming up. Right. Uh, the, these games are very pivotal, not only because any ACC win is pivotal. Uh, there are games that Virginia Tech should win, and you want to look at the ACC standings right now. Uh, Louisville and UVA set at the top at 4-0 in the league. Virginia Tech's lone ACC loss is to Louisville at home by two. We had a shot to win it there at the buzzer on the Hunter Couture three. Uh, UVA, it's kind of a mixed bag. You don't really know. They've lost two games overall. They were throttled by Gonzaga. 
their ACC wins are not very impressive because they've come against most of the teams that haven't won a game or are struggling in the league. But we know it's also a very capable team, and Tony Bennett's a very good coach. So you can't take UVA for granted, even though they, their resume may not be as strong as it, as it normally is. Yeah, I think that there's a couple dangerous teams down there that, you know, are right now below us that could be str- or challenging for us later on. I think Florida State still is probably, in my opinion, the most complete program in the ACC right now. I think that we were going to be – if we're going to have difficulty, that's the games that we're going to challenge us later on. And I think those are in the later half of our schedule. So this is the part of the schedule that we really need to be dominant in. Yeah, uh, the Hokies currently set uh, half a game out of first place in the ACC at 4-1. and one. Uh, Then you have Duke at 3-1 and one and Clemson at 3-1. and one. But that's really big because not only is Virginia Tech – higher in the standings just based on games won, but we also hold the tiebreaker over Duke and Clemson uh, at the moment. You spoke about Florida State, who comes in there uh, tied with Pitt and Georgia Tech, right under Clemson at 2-1 and one in the ACC. Uh, Florida State's not in the top 25 right now, but like you said, typical Florida State, Leonard Hamilton team, long at every position, athletic. And then you look at Scotty Barnes, you know, a five-star recruit. He's a difference maker for that team. I certainly expect Florida State to stay at the upper part of the ACC all season. Yeah, the biggest thing about the ACC this year is there is no dominant program, but there's also no cellar dweller where you can look at and go, gosh, that's an easy victory. There is no easy victories in ACC this year. I mean, you look at a team like NC State, a Syracuse, a Miami, all those teams are challenging games no matter what your situation is in the ACC this year. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching the Clemson game, I believe it was, and one of the commentators said that he thought NC State – uh, was a contender for the national championship. Uh, you know, it, it would shock me if they won the ACC title, much less the national title. But that is how, how highly regarded some of these teams, even at the bottom. You look at state; they're six and four and two and three. And 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 the commentator mentioned that they were a national title contender. Uh, you look at Virginia Tech's schedule going forward. We've spoken about the game at Wake uh, this weekend, uh, the game early on next week against BC, and then Virginia Tech next Saturday at noon. We'll travel to the Carrier Dome where Mike Young won last year in his inaugural season. Uh, I believe it was Jalen Cohn had a big game uh, in, in the last few minutes and, and got us across the finish line there. Then we're at Notre Dame, and then that sets up an end-of-the-month matchup at home on a Saturday night against UVA. You look at this schedule with Wake, BC, at Syracuse, at Notre Dame, there's a very good chance that Virginia Tech goes into that UVA game battling UVA for first place in the ACC. Yeah, this is definitely, like I said, this is a part of the schedule we need to take advantage of as we've got a lot of tough opponents at the end of the tail end of the schedule they are going to make it a much more challenging finish. Right. I mean, I can't imagine the atmosphere, uh, you know, among among the two fan bases. It's going to be really bad if we get to that point and there's no fans in Castle. But can you imagine a 14-2 and Virginia Tech team, 8-1 in the ACC against – a UVA team that's undefeated in the ACC, probably a top 15 matchup, and there's no fans in the castle. Just, you know, that that's just what 2020 – I know we're in 2021, but that's just, you know, like going back to 2020 in a nutshell right there. Well, the thing about this is the, the scarier part about this is this team has the possibility of being more successful in the ACC than the 2018 team that, you know, if you look back on it, was thought to be much more talented than the team we have this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, w- I was actually reading uh, something on a Hokie site the other day where uh, one, of, one of the analysts said that they believe that Kive Aluma was the best big man at Virginia Tech at least in the last 20 years. Uh, that's something you and I haven't even discussed uh, going into this podcast, but I feel like we can do that right now. 
Uh, let's stack up Kive Aluma versus Kerry Blackshear. Is Kive Aluma as good as Blackshear in your mind, or is he better? Kive Aluma is a much more offensive force than Kerry Blackshear was on a night-in, night-out basis. I think that Kerry Blackshear was able to carry the 2018 team when, when Justin Robinson was out with injury. But the thing about Kiwi Aluma is, is the fact that he's such a, a variable offensive threat that allows Tech to have a lot of, you know, opportunities this year. But I still would have to say that I, I think Kerry Blackshear was a more dominant inside force than Kevin Aluma is. Uh, yeah, um, the argument that I saw made was that Aluma is the much better d- defender, that he affects the game more with blocking shots, better uh, rebounder. Uh, especially on the offensive end, uh, and, and they thought that Blackshear probably had the edge a little bit on offense, which uh, definitely passing out of the post carries as good as there is. And, again, we're splitting hairs here. Uh, I don't really know why there's a need for that debate. The good news is they both suited up for the Hokies. They both played in Blacksburg, and uh, we've been blessed with two quality big men here in the last few years. But Kibe Aluma, to his credit, has played far better than even I thought that he was going to play going into the season. Yeah, I think if you look and you're comparing the 2020 and the 2018 teams, I think the biggest piece that you're missing is a gnaw on this team. I think that the offensive force that he was, we don't really have, even though we have Jalen Cohn, we don't really have that guy who could take over in a game when you really need him to. Yeah, and speaking of Nah, uh, you know, kind of off topic last night for the uh, for the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, I think he had 37 points. Uh, there's there's an outcry there for him to start getting a lot of Lonzo Ball's minutes. I actually think he'll be a starter in New Orleans sooner than later. Yeah, I think if you look back at the Virginia Tech program as a whole, I think you can definitely see that we are trending in an upwards direction. I don't think this is the big end or end all of what Mike Young can produce. I think this is just the beginning of what we're going. Yeah, I mean, uh, you said it. You said on the last couple of podcasts, we're in a position, everybody was excited about Bama Silomatics coming in last year to top 100 players, to four-star recruits. And really, they haven't played very much this year or made much of an impact in-game uh, on on this team to this point. And that speaks volumes to where we're at because those two guys, make no mistake, would have played considerable minutes last year. Yeah, I think the the thing that Virginia Tech's working on right now is the, the thing that you want to be working on, and that's developing depth. And I think that, you know, those guys are two guys that we're going to rely on more heavily next year. And hopefully the guys we're bringing in can provide even more depth because the thing about it is to be a program that's a long-lasting, successful program, you have to start developing depth. And I think this team is doing it. Right. And, and one guy that we haven't even talked about today in all of this who's played well and, and has shown a lot of great things and has a lot of ability is Naheem Ali. And that's a guy that can go get a bucket when Virginia Tech needs it, plays really good defense, uh, very athletic. So that's a guy that's kind of an X factor night in and night out. If he can give you 11 to 15 points a night uh, on any given night, you have a good chance to win. He's also a guy that can go get 25 or 30 and carry on a night when maybe Jalen Cohn or uh, Radford or Aluma are off. Yeah, Lean's been struggling recently. He's two for 13 over his last two games. And, you know, you really didn't see him at all in the Notre Dame game. It had a couple big shots against Duke. I think Aline is a guy that, you know, we're going to need come tournament time. And I think that, you know, while we've had a lot of success with Cone and a lot of success with Loom in the last couple of games and, you know, Rafford having a big game against Duke, I think that Aline is a guy that's going to have to continue to step up his offensive production as we get into these more highly contested ACC games. Right. Uh, you know, I, I'm really excited for the rest of the season. Uh, I, you know, if you look on ESPN, the bracketology, the latest one, Lenardi has us as a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. I think we're at the point now where I would be disappointed if we're not in the NCAA tournament at season's end. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I think this team has definitely got the opportunity with a weak ACC, which it is. And I mean, I'm going to be an honest person. This is not the best ACC slate that we've had, you know, over the years. But I, I, the opportunity is definitely there for this team to be very successful. And if they didn't make the tournament where they're standing right now, I think that they would definitely feel it's a disappointment. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, that's big for Virginia Tech basketball uh, to say if we make the tournament this year that four out of the last five years we've been in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, last year's season was cut short due to COVID, but ours was not. We were not going to make the NCAA tournament. But four four out of five of the last year's making NCAA appearance would be huge for this program and the brand that is Virginia Tech basketball. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to make it easier sell for Mike Young going forward. The fact that, you know, this program is in a position where it's growing very quickly and you want to get aboard of it. Because the thing about it is, is that in the ACC, you're going to get the opportunity every year to be on TV and a team that's going to be shown, So, but you want to also win games. Right, and Virginia Tech basketball has shown that they are not that they can handle the big lights and the prime time, and if, that you're not just going to come here and play in big games. You're going to come here and win big games. Yeah, and I know this is a hard thing to hear for listeners, but – Virginia Tech basketball program right now is in a better position than the football team is. And I think that's something that is a hard sell, you know, sometimes to fans. But you've got to get behind the programs that are, you know, really bringing in the, the success. And Virginia Tech basketball is doing it right now. Yeah, and, and I think uh, you're going to see football take another step in the right – or take a step in the right direction next season. But like you said, Virginia Tech basketball right now – is an ACC contender, and I don't. I don't think when Buzz Williams left that anybody thought, no matter who Witt hired, short of maybe John Calipari, that in year two we were going to be in that spot. I mean, it's just an incredible spot to be in, but it's also a credit to Mike Young. And I, I know a lot of people, and certainly our listeners, have seen the graphic going around that Mike Young's been the head coach at Virginia Tech for 45 days. He already has wins over Tom Izzo, Jay Wright, Mike Shashevsky. Roy Williams and Jim Beheim. I mean, that's a who's who of college basketball coaches all time. Well, there's definitely a name that he wants to add to the list this year, and I think he's going to get two shots at it. And I think that's the one that will finally get the monkey off his back and really show that he has arrived in the ACC and that Virginia Tech is on the way up. But before we end this up, I want to ask one question of you, you know, that goes back to football and kind of ties the, the whole show back around. What are we still missing that we need to get in the portal that you think will really put us over the edge as far as next year? Uh, I would like I would like for us to add another quarterback, and that's not me saying that Burmeister is not the guy. I, I, you you don't ever want to go into obviously the season with two two scholar. Well, right now we have two scholarship quarterbacks. We would have three by the fall. One would be a true freshman that I think the coaching staff looks at as a guy that they can develop into a starter. But you certainly don't want to go into the season with two guys on campus that have played in a college football game and then a true freshman at quarterback. So I'd like to see us add another quarterback in the portal, Jordan Williams from St. Francis, uh, an, an FCS school. He was an FCS All-Americans, a name to to, uh, to watch and keep an eye on. Um, running back, I, I, I don't look at Blumrick as a running back. I certainly think Blackshear and Holston are capable. It would not hurt my feelings uh, to see us add Kevin Marks, the Buffalo uh, grad tra or transfer portal running back. Um, and then, obviously, offensive line. Uh, I don't think we've done enough to make up for the loss of Nestor and Hudson. We've added Johnny Jordan. Uh, I think we still need a couple more guys. There's a five-star offensive lineman from Tennessee that we're after. Um, I, I would like to see us land him. But the offensive side of the ball is really my answer. I, I think we have more work to do in the portal on offense. I definitely agree with you. And since you know, I think this will give our listeners something to talk about. And it's something we talked about this week. Uh, DD situation in Auburn has definitely changed over the last week. 
you know, with Miles on leaving and a couple commitments happening in the last week that have definitely changed Auburn's quarterback situation. If Didi was to come back, do you think he would be the option that Tech needs to provide that depth in the quarterback room? You know, uh, th this is such an odd situation because you never want to see a young man his future impacted, and you don't you you know as an adult you don't want to have any hard feelings to towards a teenager trying to make the best decision for his life. But at the same time, with the comments that Didi made about the academics at Auburn being better than Virginia Tech and all the reasons that he left and the way that he kind of trolled the fan base. I think that's a hard sell to the fans, but uh, you know, as somebody that's been a coach for for I can now say a long time, unfortunately, as somebody that's been a coach for a long time, and I had this discussion off the uh, podcast with you and and some buddies uh, in a group text. You know what a what a chance Justin Fuente would have to teach a young man an, a lesson early on, not just the young man that you want and like and can help your football program, but a lesson humility and and how to be humble when when you've been blessed with talent and an opportunity. Uh, and what you're referring to is the fact that Brian Harson is now the coach at Auburn instead of – he's replaced Gus Malzahn. Uh, he's hired Mike Bobo from South Carolina. He's hired uh, Coach Friend from South Carolina. And it looks like they're going to steal <laughs> Coach Rucker from South Carolina as well. So Shane has lost half his staff to Auburn in a week. But you're referring to Gunnar Stockton, the five-star quarterback, uh, that um, number one dual-threat quarterback in the country, decommitting from South Carolina, likely headed to Auburn. Uh, in the same class as Didi, and they're looking at a four-star quarterback in the transfer portal, which would, for all intents and purposes, make Didi the number and, four and quarterback on the roster. Starting the Auburn, right. System for the last two years. And that's what I'm saying. So you have Bo Nix, then you're going to have Stockton, then the transfer portal quarterback. So where does Didi fit into that? The much better situation for him was in Blacksburg. He should have stuck with his gut. He should have stuck with the situation that he gravitated to early on. He would have a chance to start here right now that he would come in. If he enrolled early, I, I would put the odds at 50-50 that Dede would be the starter in Morgantown against West Virginia. But now, you know, where does he go from here? Because Stockton is bigger. He's more highly regarded. That doesn't mean he's the better player. But Mike Bobo, that's his guy. He had him at South Carolina. He's taking him with him to Auburn. Mike Bobo is not taking Gunnar Stockton with him to Auburn to sit behind Demetrius Davis. So what, what are your thoughts? My opinion are – or my opinion is that Virginia Tech should still take Didi if he wanted to come back. That I, th I think Fuente would probably do that, but I think Didi would need to show some goodwill to the fan base. Well, I think this is the, the the monster that the portal does create. I think you look at a guy like Taj, who's coming into the program, and as we talked about this week, he's been told he's the next man up, and this is his opportunity. Taj base becomes, and unfortunately, you know, this is a repeat of a situation. Taj becomes the next QP. You know, a guy who thought, you know. The world was basically landing on his plate at Virginia Tech, and it never really had the opportunity to develop. You know, a Burmeister stays an extra year, and he gets the opportunity to really take the role. And then Aditi comes in and kind of slips in behind you and takes the spot from you. The Hendon Hooker kind of Hendon Hooker did, and it, it's a situation that really makes it hard to recruit going forward. I would rather see us go into the portal, find another man down the line who's going to be here for a year to compete for the spot this year give Taj the opportunity that we promised him, and then work on the 2022 class getting that next guy. Right, and I ultimately think that's what you'll see happen. Uh, and and Demetrius Davis is a competitor. He's not going to shy away from competition, and I don't look for him to, to, to back out of his letter of intent at Auburn. Uh, but I also, you know, I, these schools get into such, you know, dirty pool here, doing things like especially what Texas did with Tom Herman. 
I think when the AD announced that Tom Herman was coming back, for all intents and purposes, that was just for to get through National Signing Day, let him coach the bowl game, get our recruits signed, and then we're going to make a move. And it's as you know, it's much harder to get out of a letter of intent than it is to just verbally say, hey, I'm not going there anymore before you've signed anything. So uh, I, I feel like that's kind of what happened at Auburn. I think had D.D. known that Harson was going to be there and that Bobo was going to come with him and Stockton and all, all things considered, I don't know if D.D. would have ended up back at Virginia Tech, but I think he would have gone somewhere else. Um, D.D. size is an issue going in. Uh, I think he's like 5'10", 5'11". Certainly we've seen guys like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees have success at that height. Burmeister's not much taller, 6'1". But at the same time, there are some questions about D.D. starting anyway. Bo Nix is there, like you said. Uh, at, at any point, I don't know if D.D. ever gets on the field for Auburn. Well, and that's really sad for the young man. One thing about it is if he, even if he came here under Corey Nelson's system that we're currently running, Taj is a much better fit for running quarterback isos than D.D. will ever be. Sure, uh, absolutely. And, and I really like Taj Bullock. I think he has a lot of talent. Uh, I, I think the league that he plays in is the best that his state has to offer. It's not the greatest competition, but he's certainly been player of the year in that league. He has great size. He has raw ability. And that's the other aspect of this. You know, Bullock has wanted to be a Hokie. And D.D. evidently, from the words of his mouth, do not or did not want to be after he originally did. So that's the other side of this. Would it be okay to take D.D. back? Yes, but then what are you doing to Taj? And, and, and what does that make your word as a coach to, to to incoming recruits? Is it is it not worth the paper it's written on? Well, the most exciting thing about this class is the thing that we go back to every year is the guys who are on the field this year want to be Hokies. If you look at Kenji, Harvey, you look at Bullock, you look at all the guys who did sign their letters of intent, every one of them seemed to be very excited about being Hokies. They might have had opportunities to be other places. I know Kenji had opportunities to play different positions for bigger programs or not so much bigger programs, but SEC programs. And the thing about it is, is that all three guys stuck it out, decided to come to the Hokies, and I think they're all going to have successful futures. Yeah, there's some guys in that class we talked about that I'm really excited about. You look at Dwayne Lofton, uh, you look at Kenji Christian, uh, Stroman, Hollifield, Harvey, Bullock, a lot of guys there, Keller, big, long athletes that I think can can have a really good future in Blacksburg, Nikelius Johnson. Uh, so, so I think this class will turn out to be far better than most people think, especially on paper. And you look at what's happening with high school football in Virginia. Some of these guys probably would have gotten a ratings bump had there been high school football in the fall. Uh, you know, the, the announcement came down yesterday that it looks like Richmond is not going to play their fall sports. That's certainly going to be a blow to a lot of guys in that area that Virginia Tech would have interest in. But at the end of the day, if a guy can play football, he can play football. You can turn the film on and you can see that. It doesn't matter if he's a five-star or two-star. I'm not saying rankings don't matter. They do. I'm saying in the COVID world where everyone's maybe not been evaluated, you can turn on the film and see if a guy can play or not. Well, the thing about it is, is when we look back at this season and the look at everything that we were going through, this season's recruiting class actually doesn't count because the fact is the guys who were on the field get an extra year and the guys coming in behind them will be in the same eligibility class as they are. So this year's class could end up being a class that we either could be forgettable or minimable but it's going to have to be done based on what we've already got in. Yeah, I actually read something the other day that said the NCAA had not handed down any guidance at the moment about what was going to happen with extending the amount of scholarships you could give. And as of right now, it looked like that starting next year, uh, you would have no scholarships available, and it would be on the basis of how many ever guys left your program it would be how many scholarships you had available to offer. You would certainly like to think that the NCAA would step in and take care of that. Uh, some coaching news that we didn't mention at the top of the podcast. Uh, yesterday, Tracy Clays announces his retirement after one year in Blacksburg. 
as the linebackers coach, Jack Tyler, the former Hokie linebacker, had been quality control for a while. Uh, I think he was a GA before he was quality control. Is promoted to linebackers coach. All the players, current, former, all the coaches, current and former, seem to be really excited about that and on board with it. Tracy Clays, just from the message that I got, seemed like he wanted to get back closer to his home and his family, Once um, the message that he sent out that I read. And then also seemed like he wasn't really interested in being a long-term position coach. He wanted to be back as a D.C. or a head coach. He even said in the letter he reserved the right to return from retirement if the proper D.C. opportunity fit or uh, presented itself and was a good fit. What are your thoughts on Jack Tyler as the linebacker's coach, and do you see this moving the meat, the needle any in recruiting? I think it will in some ways just because the fact is he's young and he's energetic, and he really provides a really good co-pairing with a tap as far as recruiting goes. I think those two guys can, are high energy. They're guys that are going to get guys excited about playing for Virginia Tech. So recruiting-wise, I think it's going to make a difference. I think Clays was a good linebacker's coach. I think in the last couple of years, maybe we look at what was on the field. Maybe the motivation wasn't there as much. And, I mean, that's not saying anything against him because, I mean, it's a difficult situation as it was. But it looked like the linebacker position was kind of not motivated to be at the top level that it could be. I think this is an opportunity for Virginia Tech to get better at that position. And I think I wish Coach Clay is the best. Yeah, I mean, he 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 came in for that one year. And I think a, part, a large part of his job was to help Justin Hamilton, uh, a first-time defensive coordinator, kind of be a mentor and, and another ear for him to to uh, lean on uh, when, when he needed some advice. What a year it had to be for your first year. Uh, you know, Tracy Clays is learning a new area. He's learning a new program, a new coaching staff, a new group of players, all those things. And then COVID hits. It's just like you said, it's a tough situation. And he probably didn't get out of it, nor did the coaches, did Justin Fuente get out of Tracy Clays what he had hoped when he when he hired him last year. Uh, with all that being said, it's a really exciting time to be a Hokie fan. I mean, Virginia Tech basketball, the, the men are on a roll. Uh, the wrestling team having a really good season, which we expect every year now. Uh, they actually have a meet with North Carolina on the ACC Network on Friday. So if our listeners get a chance, tune in and watch it. If you have Comcast, I'm really sorry you can't watch it unless you get another form of TV. I actually read something the other day that said – uh, that the ACC was putting a lot of Virginia Tech games on the ACC network on purpose to try to force Comcast's hand because as a buddy I have uh, that I hung out with over the weekend watching the uh, the Notre Dame game said, my buddies all over the state can watch Virginia Tech basketball on TV. I live a mile from the castle and I have to go somewhere to watch it because I don't have the ACC network on Comcast. But, you know, being what it is, I hope everybody's enjoying getting to watch Virginia Tech. Like I said, we're one step closer to being on the other side of, of the COVID issue, hopefully, and, and starting to return to some normalcy. I, I don't know what that will look like even this year, but, you know, we're off to a good start. Uh, Josh, you got anything you want to add before we wrap this up? I hope the women get a win tonight. I tell you what, I, that's the one thing I want to add. You know, we don't get a chance to mention the women's program very often, but there's a lot of talented players on that team, and they've had a, a lot of opportunities to get that first ACC win, and I hope tonight's the night. I guess a tough UNC team. Yeah, I mean, they battled Louisville real, really tough, one of the top programs in the country. Likes him to get over the hump tonight. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's safe. I'm Jonathan Hagee. I'm Joshua Hallfield, and we are signing off from the Terradome.